I love John 17. We, we've, yeah, I don't know if you've been around the last few weeks, but you know, the Word of God is the Word of God, so it doesn't get any better than the Word of God. But we could be in Leviticus 13, 14, and 15 the last couple of weeks, which are fantastic, by the way. No knock on Leviticus. But we're in, I mean, we're just in the, the zone, really, because we're, we're in the last night of Jesus' life. And I don't know if you know what that feels like. I don't know if you've ever been with somebody on the last night of their life and they knew it was the last night of their life. The last day, the last few hours, and, and things, everything resolves. Things clarify. And in those few hours or few minutes or that, that last day you have together with somebody when they know this is sort of the last bit. And all of a sudden, all the extraneous stuff sort of fades away. All the, you know, irrelevant stuff sort of drifts to the back. And, and people start looking at each other eye to eye and saying the few things they really want to say to each other before they're gone. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And that's what Jesus is doing. Now, Jesus knows he's coming back. So this is not like the final goodbye but a lot of the people we see right before they die, they know we're going to see them again too. But there's still something terminal about that moment. And so the reason why these chapters were in chapter 15 a few weeks ago, 16 last Sunday, and 17, Jesus is just hours away from giving his life. He's hours away from the cross, which for us looks back, you know, thousands of years into the past, but he's looking up at the cross just from hours into the future, and no one's ever died on it like he's going to before. No one's ever given their life like he's going to do before. And for us, we, we had all of our lifetime of singing Amazing Grace, but no one had ever sung Amazing Grace on this night yet. And so all of history sort of leveraging on this moment. Our fate and our future with God is hanging in the balance. And Jesus has got his closest guys around him. And he's just kind of laying his heart out to them. And so in chapter 15, he's making sure they know we got to stay connected. I'm the vine and you're the branches. Apart from me, you can't do anything. Comes to chapter 16 and he tells them really clearly in the world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. And as soon as he speaks those words, he prays this prayer. And I love it. It's the only words that are not in red in the chapter. So we almost get to complete all Jesus chapters. But we get the teaser line in verse 1 of John chapter 17. And after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Now, I just want to always help us stay in context. I think if there's one thing we can do as a church family is to just let the Scripture stay connected together. So even though we talked about it last week, I know a lot of you weren't here last week, when it says, after Jesus said this, you want to go said what? Because this prayer makes sense after what he said. So you don't just go in, chop out John chapter 17, transport it or export it over here and say, hey, I like this prayer and I'm going to adapt this prayer without understanding what did Jesus just say before he prayed the prayer. And he says, I mean, you can back up to John 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, see all of what he said. But the last words he said were, take heart, exclamation point. In other words, he wasn't talking in that real, you know, uh, God voice. He, was, he had a little energy in his voice. He's got fire in his eyes. He's looking at these guys and he's saying, come on, man, take 
heart, I have overcome the world. So that's our starting point today. Before we even pray the prayer, I just like reaching back to that. And he was all out of whack chronologically because he hadn't really overcome the world chronologically yet because he hadn't died. He hadn't descended in the depths of the earth. He hadn't been raised from the dead on the third day. But in his mind, he already knew what was going to happen. And in his mind, he knew he was going to say yes. He knew he was going to hang in there. He knew he was going to endure the cross. He knew he wasn't going to bail out on the mission. And he knew victory was going to come. And he knew on the third day that it was all going to be a new deal, game-changing on the third day. And so he said, take heart, guys. I've overcome everything that you're going to face in the world. And then he looked toward heaven and he prayed. Now, I want us just to dive in here a little bit, but I want you to see three things about this chapter on the big picture. Then I want to see three small level things about it as well. In the chapter, there are how many prayers? Anybody? Anybody know how many prayers are here? Good. There are three prayers here in the chapter. The first one, Jesus prays for himself. The second prayer, beginning in verse 6, he prays for his disciples, the guys that were in the room with him in that moment. And then the third prayer, beginning in verse 20, he prays for all believers. Are there any believers here today? Can I just see a show of hands if you're a believer here today? Okay, that's great. Uh, so, guess what? You got prayed for by Jesus. I don't know what else you're looking for today. I don't know like what's going to be your big thing today that you're going to tweet about, you know, woohoo, you know, but that ought to be it. I got prayed for by Jesus on the last night of his life. Jesus was praying for me. I mean, so we're connecting the dots, right? So we're not just over here like way down the road sort of looking back in history. We were in this night. Jesus was telling it, he couldn't explain all this to his followers because they weren't getting the basics, like I'm going to give my life and be raised from the dead. So he couldn't go into detail and say, this guy right here, I'm, I'm giving my life for him and I'm praying for him. He's going to live in 2012 in Atlanta, Georgia, whole nother lifetime, whole nother world, whole nother influence, whole nother deal. But he's in it with us, guys, because I've overcome the world. And you're not going to believe this, guys. You're going to go out and you're going to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you are literally going to see more people come to faith and you can think of right now, it's going to get dark, and then it's going to get really bright, and then it's going to get really hard, and through all the hard times, the church is going to blow up, and nobody's going to stop it. The enemy's going to try to squash it really early on, but he's not going to. The more he tries to squash it, the more it's going to grow. The more he tries to stop it, the more it's going to advance, and guys, you're not going to believe it. People on continents you've never even been to are going to worship me and glorify God because of you. Take heart, guys. We are on a mission here, and I'm praying for me, and I'm I'm praying for you, and I'm praying for all of them, because this is a big, big deal. They're looking around the room going, there's like 11 of us. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, there's not. There's hundreds of millions of us, and you're a part of it. And so he prays for himself. He prays for his closest friends. And then he prays for all the believers on planet Earth. So Shelly and I are talking about this text this week, and I love this. We began talking about this idea that in this chapter are these concentric circles of prayer. 
And that's a big picture that I want to drop down. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but a lot of times, A, we don't know how to pray. I mean, how many of you would say you're not a great prayer? Would anybody just say that today? I'm just not like as good a prayer. Let's say it a different way. I'm not as good a prayer as I want to be. Anybody want to say that? Come on. I mean, that's true. Look around the room. You're thinking, I'm the only person who doesn't really pray as good as I want to. No, let's try it one more time. Who's not praying as much or as good as you want to? Come on, hold them up. Just keep them up for a bit. Let's go ahead and, you know, just put it out there. Look around. You're like, good night. I thought I was, I was driving to work every day going, I feel so bad. I'm sure all the other people have been on the freeway have been praying all morning. No, they haven't either. <laughs> I'm sure everybody else at Passion City Church must like be in the prayer closet. No, they're not. We're not praying as much as we should be. We are not, and we're not praying the way we ought to pray. And so that's kind of a big lesson from uh, John chapter 17. If Jesus on the last night of his life is praying, you ought to be praying every night of your life. If Jesus is in the moment connecting to his Father, then that's saying something to us about connectivity with God. And that's what prayer is. Prayer isn't a, a little ritual or a booklet or a pamphlet or six things to do or a long you know, oration. Prayer is staying connected to the Father in light of the mission that he has for our lives. That's what prayer is. It's not me, okay, I've got to pray now, so I have to get in this prayer mode and get my prayer language on, dear God in heaven. You know, you don't talk like that. Just Father is good, you know. Um, and, and you get your voice, your prayer voice on, you know, and then you get your prayer attitude on, you know, and then you start doing your hand things at the right way. And, you know, you don't have to do all that. You can be just anywhere, anytime, any circumstance and say, Father, we've got to stay connected. I have to stay connected to you. And, and when Jesus prayed, he prayed these three circles. And I want to challenge us as a church to think about after today starting to pray in three concentric circles. The first circle, Jesus prayed for himself. Now, I know you're not thinking about because that's not where joy comes from. Joy is Jesus and then others and then you. That's how you get joy. And, uh, but you've got to flip that around. And you've got to start by praying for you. A lot of us are not praying for us. And so here's the thing. If Jesus thought on the last night of my life, I want to make sure I'm connected to my Father about his connection to me, I want to make sure we are connected prayer on the last night of my life, and Jesus is even praying for himself, then how much more do we need to stay connected to our Father and know that he's connected to us as we're walking through our lives. But the truth be told, most people here today didn't pray for themselves this week more than five minutes. And so we got to draw a circle around ourselves and say, I need to be praying, connecting for me. That second circle we need to draw around is to start praying for the people that are in our closest inner circle every single day. And so you can delineate in your mind who that is, because everybody can't be in your closest inner circle. There are only 11 guys in the room, and Jesus prayed for those 11 guys. And so you need to decide, who are the four, or the six, or the eight, or the two, or the three, or the 12 people in your circle, and you need to start praying for them in the same way we're going to see that Jesus prayed for the guys in his inner circle and then that third concentric circle is for us to activate our opportunity to pray for all the believers on planet Earth, to play, pray for the church in the world. I got a message from one of our uh, PCC people this week, and 
was just emailing to say there's a, an incredible prayer guide called Operation World, and it allows you to pray for countries every day by day by day by day. It tells you things about that country, about the church in that country, the government in that country. And this week, Haiti came up in prayer, and I loved it. Just got a short text from him saying, hey, praying for Haiti today, just thinking about our connectivity to Haiti, the way that our heart's been connected to Haiti over the last few years. And it's like, wow, that's, you know you're praying when I'm, I'm praying for me and God's purpose in my life. I'm praying for this inner circle that God's put in my life. Those would be like my, my coworker, my, my wife, my son, um, my best friend, uh, my, my teammate, or whoever these people are that are in this circle that I want to make sure that I'm praying for them every day. And then I'm praying for the church around the world and so there was Jesus, last night of his life. First little circle, little bit bigger circle, broad circle. And I wonder what it would look like. I really do if over time you and I sort of stepped into this place where consistently, not every single day, because none of us are going to make that right away. We might not ever make that, any of us. But that regularly we're praying for ourselves. We're praying for the people closest around us. And we're praying for the church, the believers in the world. Now, who got left out of all the concentric circles so far? Anybody? Who got left out? Who got left out? Prayed for Jesus, prayed for himself, prayed for the guys he's going to build the church with, his closest guys, and he prayed for all the believers who are ever going to come after him. Who got left out? Big, obvious group of people. Who? All the non-believers did not get prayed for on the last night of Jesus' life. Is that weird? Who thinks that's weird? It's so awesome how he prayed for them. And we'll look at that in the last way. So how are you going to pray for your concentric circles? Let's look and see how Jesus prayed. This would be cool. Uh, beginning in verse 1. And I'll just read his first little prayer because it's a short one. And then we'll pick out sort of the highlights of the next two. He says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son. That your Son may glorify you. Now, can we back up? If you write in your Bible... Uh, in your scripture, then could you just circle every time he refers to his father, or he says your, or he says you. Now, if you don't, if you don't want to write, just kind of make a mental note. Every time he says either father, you, or your. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son. I'll emphasize him that your son may glorify you. So we got a lot of, who's the focus of verse one? <laughs> his father. The Father is the focus in the very first verse. Verse 2, for you granted him authority over all people that he may give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I think for me, the sum of Jesus' prayer for himself is me for you. Can you just say that with me? Me for you. Jesus' prayer, as you look at it from every angle in this little paragraph is, Father, I've come to this place, and in this place, I want you to work in me 
for your glory. I want to complete the work for your glory. I want you to glorify me, but the only reason I want you to glorify me is so that I can glorify you. So at the last moment, the last prayer, at least in the presence of the disciples, because we know after this he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed alone, and we don't know what he was saying in that prayer alone other than if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But in this prayer he says, God, me for you. And that's the prayer that we pray in the concentric circle when we pray for ourselves every day. Our prayer is, God, use me for you. It's so amazing that in this prayer he didn't say, bless me, help me, give me, do for me, blah, 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 me, me, me. He said, no, me for you. And so what a prayer to start our day with as we're going down the road, on the way to class, wherever, we just reconnect with God and go, Father, Wow, I just called you father. Hello, windows down, honking the horn, highlight, text somebody, call a friend. You're not going to believe this. I was just praying, realize I just called the God of the universe father. Thank you very much. Just want to check in with you and let you know that. Goodbye. I mean, what? We've all lost that. Look at everybody here. They're like, yeah, father. Yeah, whatever. Awesome. Great. That's cool. No, that's not cool. That is a fat miracle. That is a radical concept that Jesus, as he's praying, says, Father, and in the context of the prayer, allows us to know that we too can pray to God as the Father, that this creator of the stars, this speaker of the galaxies, this infinite I am with no beginning and no end, the Alpha and the Omega, the God of gods, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Yahweh, God, is our Father. And we talk to God, we don't go, oh, heavenly, wonderful, heavenly being. <laughs> we go, Father, Father, I got to connect with you, Father. I think if we lose that word, then we, we're done. Whatever happens after that is all skewed. If we lose the sense that everyone in the building today has actively in their lives, present and at work, a perfect heavenly father. There are no orphans in this house today. There are no fatherless in this house today. Every single person in the house today who has this deep longing that a father would come along and put his arms around them and love them and hold them and embrace them and lead them and provide for them. Everybody in the building has that today. Now, my father physically is not with us. 17 years ago, the last time I said Happy Father's Day to my father, and I miss him today, but I am not fatherless here today. I not only have the memory of my dad, I have a present tense, active father, God Almighty, who is perfect in every way, and even in some ways better than my dad was at being a father. That was a joke. He is incredible, perfect God. And through Christ, he's given me the ability to be born again, a son of God, or for you, a daughter of God there are no fathers here. So like Psalm says, even if my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will hold me in his arms. So happy Father's Day to our father, to your father, to the father. You have a father.
an amazing father. And he loves you like crazy. And when you connect with him in the first little circle, you start by saying, Father, I want to just reaffirm my connection to you and your connection to me. See, following Jesus isn't complicated. Growing spiritually is not rocket science. And you don't need a theological degree. You don't need a big, huge theological vocabulary. You have to know how to often pray, which isn't, oh, I'm going to pray now, so let me get my little list out. I wrote it down on the back here. Okay, God, are you ready? I'm ready to pray now. Uh, I, I need one of these and two of these, and if you'll get rid of him, that would be awesome. Today, if you could get rid of him today, it would be great. In fact, you could do anything you want to do to him. It'd be fine. I don't know if he's due for any punishment of any kind, but if you could give that to him today, that would be awesome. Here's his address right here. I wrote it down for you, just in case... That, that got that one. I don't want to put his little Facebook deal right here just so you'll know. Um, oh, yeah, we're going to need uh, $700 by, by tomorrow, possible. Um, bless all the missionaries. Um, <laughs> will you forgive me for all my sin again? Thank you. I appreciate that. Just want to make sure I got that in again today since this morning. Um, and you know the traffic. I don't know what we're going to do about it. It's, if you could, if you, I don't know, you're busy, and I know there's a lot going on. But if you could work on that, that'd be awesome, too. And well, I think that's about it. I, I got to run, but I know you're busy, too. So, hey, isn't that awesome? Great. Also, cool. Uh, isn't that great? All right. You know, what's really sad is that's not very far from the truth. And so there's some radical idea about thinking about prayer in a different way. It is not a list. It's not um, an, an activity. It's not, it's not this weight. It's not, I got to do that. It's, it's connectivity. It's like when you're married or you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, you just text them through the day. You don't have to have a big news flash. You doing okay? Good. I'm doing okay. Love you. Love you too. You're like, well, you just told them you loved them earlier in the day. I know. We're just staying connected. And so the circle begins this way. Just stay with me. It begins with Father. i got to stay connected to this idea, this simple idea that you are my Father, and I am your son, or I am your daughter. You are the Father. I am the son. You are the Father. I am the daughter. You're my Father. And I'm your son. Let's stay connected to that reality all through the day. And then in my concentric circle, my first circle, here's the prayer I want to pray today. Father, I know you know this already, but I just want to say it again today. Me for you. This whole thing is me for you. It's me for you. What kinds of me for you? Look at his phrases. I want to complete the work you gave me to do. That's what Jesus said. I've now completed the work you gave me to do. Do you know that the Father has given you something to do? And so you want to stay connected and say, Father, I want to complete this thing you've given me to do today, this today thing. Remember today when you were saying, I want you to talk to so-and-so or do so-and-so? I want, to, I want to do that today. And to say, I want even to pray this prayer, God, will you glorify me so that I can glorify you? I love this prayer because when we get 
uh, humility, um, all mixed up, we lose sight of the fact that God wants to raise people up. Because the natural outcome of a life that is following Jesus is that you will be raised up. Not necessarily promoted to be the CEO of the company, not necessarily elected president of, of, of the country, not necessarily the valedictorian of your class, but if you follow Christ and he starts changing you and changing me, we will be elevated in people's eyes because we will be amazing to them. And people will start thinking things like, that so-and-so, she's the most amazing person I know. She comes by. She does this. I can't believe it. And maybe the whole community doesn't know it, but those two or three people know it. And in, in their eyes, you are elevated. Or maybe you have a more visible persona and you're thinking, how can I follow Jesus when I got all this attention? Easy. Just say, God, give me more and more success so that I can have more and more attention. So that the more success and the more attention I have, the more glory I can bring to you. If you glorify me, you know I'm going to glorify you. If you elevate me, you know I'm going to elevate you. If you push me to the center, you know I'm just going to push you to the center. So it's okay, God, if you want to push me to the center because I'm going to get right out of the way and I'm going to make Jesus the star of my life. And that was the prayer of Jesus on his last night. It's me for you. I believe I change our lives. If over days and weeks and months we pray a regular prayer that says, I know that I have a father and I know I'm a loved son or daughter. I got that today. And out of that loving relationship, here's my prayer again. I want to affirm and reaffirm our connection it's me for you. And he could say back, well, it's me for you too, Louis, but he's already done that. He's already shown us through history that he's given us everything he has. So he's pretty much for you. The question today is not, is God for you? The question today is in your brief time on earth, are you going to be for him? The second circle, he prays for his followers. And I'll just circle into a couple of the prayers that he prays for them. Um, he says this phrase, which we were talking about earlier, about the world, which is kind of interesting. In fact, let's just read uh, down a few verses, beginning in verse 9. He said, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. Now, that's kind of a weird. I'd, I'd underline that if I were you because I'd be like, what? You're not praying for the world. How are you not praying for the world? They're the ones that need it. We don't need it. They need it. Don't pray for me. Pray for the guy I'm in class with. He's the one who really needs it. But he's saying, I'm not praying for the world. But just hold on to that thought. But for those you have given me, for they are yours. He's talking about his followers here. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. Look at verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. In other words, they're going to stay here. I'm coming back to be with you. So here's what I want to pray for them. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. And then look down, if you will, a few verses. Well, let's just read all of it. He says, so you can get the, the heart of that name. He says, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, and I kept them safe by the name you gave me. And none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Judas, he's gone. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that 
they may have the full measure of my joy within them. My prayer, verse 15, skip down one, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world, so sanctify them by the truth, for your word is truth. So what did Jesus pray for the eleven? Don't take them out of the world. Keep them from the evil one. And how do you do that? By continually sanctifying them, which is the process of salvation, is what that word means. It's the process, sanctification, of God making us who we are in Christ. Of God making us into the holy ones we are in Christ. It's that conforming process of taking us from who we are the moment we put our faith in Jesus and shaping that in us and so we truly become all of who he made us when we put our faith in Jesus. And his prayer for them is don't get them out of the world. In fact, keep them in the world. Don't keep them from the world. Protect them from the evil one. Don't keep them from the darkness. Protect them from the prince of darkness. Don't take them out of the fire. Just keep them from the one who can consume the soul. And that's what we pray for the people in our inner circle. And that's the tone that we have as his people on planet Earth. You know, the greatest thing I think that can keep us from the world is religiosity. And the more religious you get, the farther and farther you got to be from the world. And Jesus said, no, I didn't ask you to not be in the world. I didn't even ask God to protect you from the world. I just asked him to protect you from the evil one. So here's what Jesus was thinking. I want people smack dab in the middle of the darkness, and I want them surrounded by truth in such a way that the enemy can't take them down even though they're in the middle of the darkness. They keep growing into the beauty of Christ. I want people in the darkness, but you cannot be in the darkness without being completely encased with the truth of God so that you can grow in the darkness into someone who can shine for Christ. And so, you know, don't ever make that mistake. And oftentimes we do, you know, I'm going to go and, make, and shine for Jesus over here, and I'm going to leave and go over here into this far place and shine for Jesus. But when you do that, you disconnect from the truth, you disconnect from the family, you disconnect from the concentric circles, you disconnect from faith, you disconnect from guys that can walk with you ladies that can walk with you. And what happens? You get over in the darkness, and the darkness just completely covers you in. And after a while, you're kind of limping your way back to the church going, that didn't work out so well. Well, the reason it didn't work out so well is because Jesus understood that enough to even pray to his father and say, I'm leaving these guys in the world. You know that. I'm coming to you. They're staying. And it's going to get crazy around here in the world. But I'm not asking you to save them from all the craziness of the world. I'm asking you to sanctify them with the truth so they can be protected from the evil one. So that's the picture. That's the goal, right? The goal is that you would get into the world, that the church would penetrate the world, that we would be everywhere in the world, in culture, where people are. Uh, we wouldn't all huddle together and go, I'm just going to get all my, I'm just going to put all the concentric circles into one room and stay in there. You know, I'm just going to get the Father and me and my buddies and a few other believers, and we're just going to batten down the hatches and hold on till Jesus comes. Well, Jesus isn't praying for you if that's your mentality. Jesus is praying, I want you to get in the world. And I'm not going to ask God to save you from it. 
Well, the world's, the world's topsy-turvy. Uh-huh, and you're going to get turned upside down. The world is rough and tumble. I know, and you're going to get rough and tumbled. That's okay. As long as truth sanctifies you and the evil one doesn't take you down. The world can't take you down. It can beat you up, but it can't take you down. In fact, if it beats you up, maybe good will come out of it because tomorrow they're going to beat me up. And I'm going to change everything. The third concentric circle. He prayed for believers. Simple prayer was that they'd be unified. That was his heartbeat prayer, that they'd be one. And that they would be one so the whole world could know about Jesus. It's not a long prayer, so we'll just dive in for a bit. Verse 20, it says, My prayer is not for them alone, the 11, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. So that's all of us who raised our hands earlier. Here we come. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. Isn't that awesome? And then a little bit later, verse 23. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So here the whole thing, Jesus prays for himself, the 11, and he prays for all of us. He never prays for the world, except that he does pray for the world. And the way he prays for the world, he says, you got to make all these believers have a unified heart for Jesus, because when they all have a unified heart for Jesus, the world is going to know who I am and what I am all about. They're going to know you, Father, and they're going to know me. When all these believers have a common heart of love for each other. It's amazing to me that, that Jesus wasn't saying, I'm going to pray for all the lost people at that company. No, he's saying, I want to pray for all the believers at that company. Because the hope of that company is the believers. He didn't say, I want to pray for all the lost people of Atlanta, Georgia. He said, I want to pray for all the believers of Atlanta, Georgia, because the hope of Atlanta, Georgia is the believers of Atlanta, Georgia. And if they start loving each other like you and I love each other, and if they start coming together as one like you and I are together as one, Atlanta, Georgia will never know what hit it. It will never know where it came from when Jesus comes on the scene and everything starts to change in the city. That's the prayer that Jesus prayed for the world. Here's my prayer for the world. Make the believers one. Now, here's how that's going to happen. I know this is kind of the part we really don't want to get into today. It's going to happen by two things. One, a miracle of God that would start now, or two, the natural course of history, which will start stripping away from us all the nice joys of following Jesus. You go to places in the world where persecution's coming today, and nobody's walking down the street going, oh, you're a believer? Oh, but you pray that way? Oh, we don't pray that way. Oh, you believe in Jesus, but y'all do that? No, we don't do that. We're going to go over here and do our thing over here. You get in those environments like, you believe in Jesus? I believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We got to hang on to each other because we believe in Jesus. But when freedoms start getting stripped away, and when pressure comes, which might, might happen in this country because it's happening in all the other countries of the world, then the commonality of I love Jesus and believe he's the son of God and the king of all becomes true. 
Do we minimize theological differences? No, I'm not saying that. Do we minimize, you know, the way people look at Scripture? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying Jesus becomes central. And he becomes the story. And it's not about where do you go to church, what Bible study are you in, what denomination are you. You just look at people and go, Jesus? Jesus. Awesome. We're together, me and you. And there's something about that being the beginning of the world coming to know that he, the Father, sent the Son into the world. It starts happening when we become one as they are one. And our oneness isn't for just the sake of a nice little fellowship. Our oneness is so that together we can be a voice to the city. My prayer, and I think God's prayer for this city is that there would be such a heart for Jesus that people couldn't go anywhere in Atlanta without hearing any given day about Jesus. They couldn't go to work. Somebody's talking about Jesus. It's like, what's up with people talking about Jesus? They go to lunch. Somebody's talking about Jesus. They're like, He's talking about Jesus. They go to work out. Dude is talking about Jesus. They're like, what is going on? They go to the Braves game. Guy on the row behind them is talking about Jesus. They go to a restaurant. And, every, and they get to the end of the day and go, why is everyone talking about Jesus? Maybe I should be talking about Jesus. Who is Jesus? What is going on with Jesus? And that happens when we... Fulfill this prayer Jesus is praying. That all of us as believers would start sharing one heart. And what is that one heart? That one heart is we're children of the Father and we have faith in Jesus. And that's what life is all about. Just lastly, before we close, I love that it's Father's Day. We get to share this. But I just want to end sort of on this one statement of Jesus because it's probably... I don't know, I, I don't know, there aren't any better verses than other verses in Scripture, but this one would be way up there at the top of the list. And I just want to close with how does all this happen and how does all this begin? It all begins in verse 3 when Jesus clarifies something that is so powerful. He said, now this is eternal life. Now don't you want to know what that is? Who wants to know what eternal life is? Don't you want to know what eternal life is? Of course, so he's going to spell it out. Here it comes. Here is eternal life. Now, what do you think it is before you read that, by the way? What do you think it is? Going to heaven when you die? Um, becoming a Christian? Uh, making a decision? Praying a prayer? Uh, not going to the other place? What do you think eternal life is? Well, he's going to tell us, and it's none of those things. This is eternal life, that they may know you. Because his prayer was all God-focused. His first circle prayer was all about the Father. I want them to know you. That's what eternal life is. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life, and that's what we want to leave with today. Eternal life is not filling out a card, making a decision, praying a prayer, joining a church, uh, ticking a box. Eternal life is actually having a relationship with God Almighty. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and know Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And the word know he used there in Greek is a word called gnosis. Can you just say that makes us feel smarter to say Greek words? So let's say it together. Gnosis. Can you say no? Come on with me. Uh, Greece is still in the Euro, so they're still playing, if, if you even know that's going on. So it's a proud Greek moment. I'm, I'm a little Greek myself, actually, and that's true. So let's say it together. Ready? Gnosis. That's, that's the word. 
In gnosis, a little, little, little digging around from uh, some of the, the linguistic scholars, it means to know, but check this out, especially through personal experience and first-hand acquaintance. That's the word, intimacy. First-hand experience uh, to know. Through personal experience to know, and even like would be in a relationship, intimacy to know gnosis. I, this is eternal life, that you gnosis the Father. He is the one true God, and that you gnosis Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, that you know him. We had some friends new and old over last night, and um, Shelly, you know, just... She knocks it out with this incredible meal, and she says, well, what do you want me to make for dessert? Well, that's, summertime comes. Once we get past, you know, like February, it's a no-brainer at our house when we're into summer season. I say, uh, strawberry pie, because this is from, this is passed down through her family, and it is a knockout, and especially when it's June you want the strawberry pie. I'll tell you about the strawberry pie, okay? The strawberry pie is mostly whipped cream. <laughs> Therefore, it doesn't matter what the rest of it is, okay? It could be beetroots down underneath it. You just eat the whipped cream off the top and you just keep on rolling. It's about an inch and a half of whipped cream. I mean, not like Cool Whip, not like out of the thing, ready whip. I mean, in the thing, real whipped cream, which there is nothing better than in life than real whipped cream cream. Come on. You could have it for breakfast. You could do a midday snack. It works for lunch. You can just go in the refrigerator and peel the little saran wrap off the thing and scoop it out with your fingers. You don't even need utensils. It's amazing. So that's the top layer, right? And it's about this thick whipped cream. And then underneath it are whole strawberries. So there are these big giant red, ripe, juicy strawberries under there. And then there's strawberry puree. Now guys, puree is what happens when you mash stuff up a lot, right? So you put some strawberries in the deal. You you blend them down, you get that real kind of gooey, thick, real strawberry puree, and that's all poured on there. That's like the goo that kind of makes it work. Then you got this awesome, crisp, flaky pie crust, right? And then you put it in the refrigerator, it gets super cold, and on a, on a night like last night, sitting outdoors, you bring the strawberry pie, or in this case, we had two strawberry pies out. I mean, it's like un. Real. It's like, I wish we'd seen those earlier because we could have just skipped everything else we just ate and just started eating the pies. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Does that sound good? We had a little bit left over. Do you want to see it? I do. Can you bring out the one we had left over? Is it here? Okay. Oh, there it comes. Check that out right there. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Now, a disclaimer from Shelly. She didn't know I was going to do this, okay? So we would have used a different pie pan. We have these real cool, awesome crystal pie holders that we normally use, but then last night we just happened to use this one. That's a joke. And uh, we didn't know we were going to use it, and we put it in the refrigerator with tinfoil on it, so it got a little smashed down on the top. And so it's, this thing looked amazing earlier. I just want to say that. And it still looks pretty darn good to me right now. And uh, they sliced up a pie, a piece back there. Now, I don't know if you're second-day eaters. Anybody second-day eaters here? Like, there's a lot of people in the world that are only first-day eaters, you know? It's like, oh, it's from yesterday. Oh, no, I'm not eating that. <laughs> and then there's second-day eaters. I saw a lot of hands out there, and some things are better the second day. Yeah, the crust might be a little moist, but that's okay, because it kind of everything congealed overnight, and the bacteria started growing, you know, and it just something <laughs> happened good. 
And then there are third-day eaters. Some of you third-day eaters, and I don't go past the second day personally. Um, and then they're just, if it's still in the refrigerator, you can eat it. Right? You just scrape that other stuff off, and then you just eat it. It's awesome. So we, we got a little piece here. And um, yeah, that's pretty. Look at that. You thought I was kidding about the whipped cream. You're like, that is the most whipped cream I have ever seen. I know. It's, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Try to do that like Giada. <laughs> a little extra dollop. How about that? Is that not like delightful? Anybody? Big strawberry pie lovers here? So you have to be a second day eater and a strawberry pie lover. It's kind of on the front row and sort of like a coral colored shirt. Yes, come, come right on. Come, come right on. We've got two more gatherings today, so just come on. Oh, come on, come on. Now, this is going to be pressure because Shelly's right there. <laughs> All right. How you doing? Good to see you, too. There you go. Man, this is good. Yeah. You, you. you can take it back with you. I just want people to see who got it because a lot of these people wanted this. So you might, you might want to share a little bit with that guy right there on the way down the aisle, maybe a bite. And that girl back there was almost going to hyperextend her elbow. She looked like she really wanted it. So enjoy that. Why don't you take a bite? We'll just see what happens. This is kind of like one of those cooking shows, right? You've got to go, mmm, mmm, mmm. This is wonderful. Oh, look at that big strawberry in there. I like that. Oh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> you mind if I have a bite? I might just try a little bit, too. Mmm. Happy Father's Day. Damn. Good. Mm. Here, take that with you. Enjoy that. That's good. Man. Wow. Second day is good. I'd serve up more, but we got two more gatherings to go. 6.45, the whole pie is going to be gone. It's going to be awesome. That is... The difference between looking up into heaven and going, I know there's some God up there, and I'm going to try to say some things to him and hope he hears them and it works out, and then I'll get back down here in my world and kind of try to live my life. Versus coming to a place where Christ opens our eyes and he opens our heart and all of a sudden, we know that the God of the universe is real. That he knows our name. And that he's stooping down from heaven to embrace us as sons and daughters. To birth brand new life in our heart. Spiritual life. Real life. To where we know I have a father he just happens to be God, and that's pretty cool. And he loves me, and Christ lives in me.
And now day by day by day, I'm not describing the pie. I'm telling you, I've eaten the pie. Gnosis. I know the pie. I know the pie. Very different from believing that there is a pie. Very different from liking the pie. And very different from praying to the pie. Is to actually know the pie. And that's where this all begins.